Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is the podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of 2 Timothy. Today is episode 703. We're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. Let's read the passage. Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless, and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. This is Paul's letter to Timothy, the second letter that we have, and is probably Paul's final letter to Timothy. And it's the final letter that we have to anybody. This is essentially for us Paul's last words. So last time we looked at verses 8 through 13, where he charged Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. And he talked a little about Christ and then made the comment that he, Paul, was bound because of the gospel. But God's word isn't bound. Then he gave this trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Then in verse 14, he says, remind them of these things. Well, this is one of those challenges in interpreting into the English, because this remind them of these things is actually just two Greek words. Basically, this remind. So two questions. Remind who and of what? So I I think it's, fairly clear from the context by remind who. Well, he's talking about the false teachers, but he's talking more than just the false teachers. He's talking about how to deal with the false teachers, and he's talking about how to not fall into the traps of the false teachers. So he's not just saying remind the false teachers of these things. So it's broader than that. So I think he's basically saying remind all of God's people of these things. So you look at various English translations, some say remind them of these things and leave it purposely ambiguous as the original Greek is. Some say remind God's people of these things. I think the context means it is God's people, but the words are just simply remind of these things. Now, what things? And again, the context. I think he's basically referring to the previous section, verses 8 through 13 where it's remember Jesus Christ and all the things about him and that trustworthy saying. Remember all those things and remind them of these things. Remind God's people of these things. Then it continues, and charge them before God not to fight about words. Well, what's it mean by don't fight about words? Well, that's the tactics of the false teachers who engage in these little debates about things. That doesn't mean the words are not important. And that you shouldn't 
actually oppose the false teachers. We say don't get caught up in their tactics of fighting about the meanings of words and trying to split hairs about things. That's what they do. Don't get caught up in that. He says, this is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. So it doesn't affect just the people that get caught up in the argument, but all the people around who are affected by this arguing over words. Knock it off. Quit doing it. Now, in verse 14, all of the verbs are in the present tense. That's not so with the, the whole passage. And so that may carry an implication that this is something that's actually going on. So it would be appropriate. You could even translate this as stop fighting about words. So not just don't get caught up in that, but stop doing that. So don't be fighting about words. That's what the false teachers do. Don't fall into that trap. Verse 15, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. So this is direction to Timothy. In verse 14, he said, don't do this. Don't get caught up in fighting. Then in verse 15, do, do this. So be diligent. So this takes effort. You've got to work on this to present yourself. And it's kind of almost a, a legal nuance to the word of being presented before a judge, the judge being God, to present yourself to God as one approved, approved by God, meaning you have maintained God's standards. And he's specifically talking about teaching here. So be diligent that you're doing it the way God has said to do it, that you're teaching properly and that you're approved as a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. You'd be ashamed if you messed up and had to stand before God and see all the mistakes you had made played out before you. Correctly teaching the word of truth. Now, the word gets translated as correctly teaching is orthotomeo, which in classic Greek was a word that meant to cut straight. Now, would it be used in a context like cutting a road through hilly terrain to make a straight, level road? But by New Testament times, the cutting aspect had pretty much fallen away and essentially meant to make straight, to make a straight path, to keep things straight. So he's referring to correctly teaching here or to keep the word of truth straight. Keep it according to the way God has laid it out. Don't mess with God's word. Keep it straight. Correctly teach the word of truth. And so that, you do that, you won't stand before God ashamed of what you did because you stayed faithful to the word of God. So all that, he's basically saying, Timothy, stay faithful to the word of God. Don't mess with it. Don't be ashamed of it. Correctly teach the word of God. Number 16, avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. Now, the word irreverent could be translated as godless, and it's not just coarse, it's that which is contrary to God. So it's contrary to God's word, and it's empty, so it's meaningless. And those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. This talks about you know, heretical nonsense leads to more heretical nonsense. We've got to stay 
faithful to the word of God, faithful to the word of truth. And stuff that's creeping in, that's incorrect, only leads to more error. Error leads to more error. So those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, verse 17. And their teaching will spread like gangrene. So those who engage in it, that is, those who engage in this bad teaching, that teaching will spread like gangrene. Bad teaching does spread. And then he names names again. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. Now, Hymenaeus was mentioned in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1.20. He said that Hymenaeus and Alexander had been kicked out of the church by Paul for teaching false doctrine. So apparently, that didn't get rid of him. He's still around causing trouble. Then verse 18, he says what their problem is. They have departed from the truth, saying the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. So they departed from the truth. Well, the truth would be the word of God. And he set up in verse 15 for Timothy to stay true to the word of God. Now, verse 18, they didn't. And specifically, they're saying the resurrection has already taken place. What's the deal here? There's a lot of debate exactly what's all tied up in this. The, the point is, they're saying things that aren't true. They've twisted the word of God. Some say it's similar to what was going on in Corinthians, where Paul was talking about these people who seem to have gotten so spiritualized, they've abandoned marriage and have decided that they've already arrived and essentially been spiritually resurrected. It can be a similar thing to that. Some say there's a, a Gnostic teaching that talks about being spiritually resurrected, but that was probably later than this, probably not until the second century. Some say it's uh, basically equating baptism with resurrection. Just think about the way we do baptisms today. We dunk someone underwater and we say, buried with Christ, and as they come up, raised to walk in newness of life. So that's a resurrection. So it's spiritualizing resurrection, saying it's already here, and believers have already experienced a resurrection. Well, one, it's wrong. But what's the problem with that? Aside from just being wrong, he says, ruining the faith of some. Well, it's taken out the hope for the future, a future hope of when Christ returns and we experience the real resurrection and we're with him for eternity, that's becoming a, a here and now thing versus a future thing. So it's just totally misrepresenting everything about resurrection and spiritualizing it. It, it does away with salvation. So it really messes things up and it does ruin the faith of some. In verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. So he's using some architectural metaphors here of this firm foundation. A foundation is what everything rests upon, that which holds everything up. And the foundation of our faith is the Word of God. That's why he was saying you've got to stay firm, stay faithful to the Word of God. And the false teachers have deviated from the Word of God. They've departed from the truth. So you've got to 
stay firm on the foundation that God has laid. And the imagery he's using here is, is an inscription or a seal on this foundation with the Word of God on it. And this is basically Old Testament language. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Now, it's hard to say exactly which Old Testament passages he's lifting here, because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, there's a variety of places that comes up. Maybe the idea Isaiah 26, 13. And the turn away from wickedness, a variety of places that comes up. The idea there is to separate from wickedness. But the probably the base reference he's really looking at is from Numbers 16. And that is the sin of Korah. Now remember the arrangement of the tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. You had the tribe of Levi. They were set apart. They were the ones that remained faithful in one rebellion. And so the tribe of Levi was set aside to serve the Lord. They were the ones to maintain the tabernacle and carry it from place to place. Then when the temple was built, they were the ones who made the, the stuff in the temple work. They took care of the stuff of the temple. Then specifically in the tribe of Levi was the family of Aaron, Moses' brother. Moses' brother Aaron was the first high priest. And it was the descendants of Aaron who became the priests. So you had the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 tribes. But then specifically within that tribe, you had the family, the descendants of Aaron were the priests. And the priests were the ones who did the sacrifices. Now you had a man named Korah in Numbers 16 who was a Levite and basically challenged Moses and said, how come only the priests, the sons of Aaron can do these sacrifices. Aren't we all holy? And there became a rebellion over this. And Moses basically challenged them to present their sacrifice and see what God did. And the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and all his family. The point being there, the comparison here, you have people challenging the word of God, saying, we don't like it. And we're changing it. And he's looking back to an Old Testament passage of Korah and his family challenging the word of God. We don't like the way God set things up. And they challenged it. And he saw the judgment of God. And so he's comparing these people who are challenging the word of God to those in the Old Testament who challenged the word of God and, and experienced God's judgment. So the Lord knows those who are his. That's a quote basically from Numbers 16.5. Turn away from wickedness. That's very similar to the command then in Numbers 16.26-27, where the Lord said, everybody get away from Korah because there's about to be judgment. So Paul's reminding Timothy here to teach solid stuff, to don't get caught up in these arguments about words, and not just Timothy not get caught up, but teach the people don't get caught up in this stuff. Instead, stay faithful to the word of God. And you see what godlessness does. What false teaching does is it brings more false teaching. Error leads to more error. And those that are teaching that error, they've departed from the truth 
and they're much like Korah and his family in the Old Testament who decided to rebel against God and suffered the wrath of God. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through Second Timothy.